Circuit Cast with your host, Mark Amory. Kia ora Koto listeners, welcome. You're listening to Circuit Cast, a conversation about moving image and art. I'm your guide, Mark Amory, and this month we talk to Dick White about his remake of Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction, which splices together over 400 YouTube fan reconstructions of scenes from the movie. And on the blower, we talk to Whanganui artist Britt Bunkley to discuss Sedition, an online service that sells video works for a fraction of your usual gallery price. Cheap work for your smartphone, tablet or TV. Is this scheme good, bad or just plain ugly? But first, to this week's critical panel, and a welcome to our two new guests to the pod this week, two new victims, City Gallery Wellington curator <laughs> Abby Kinane and uh, writer Tim Corbelis. G'day, guys. Hi, uh, Abby, I haven't seen you for ages. You've been in um, Edinburgh, but you've been back a while now, but welcome back. How was how was Edinburgh? Thank you. Um, it was a great time. It was very, very grey, and I've come back to the... Um, well, the greys arrived all too soon since I've been back, but um, it was a wonderful year away. I've okay. been back since February now. Oh, great. And back, yeah, back at City Gallery with the Michael Hirschfeld Gallery? That's right, yeah. Okay. And Tim, um, thank you for joining the um, Art World Payroll, as it were, and thank joining you. us here. You're yep. finishing a PhD. We know you probably best as a writer. Finishing's a uh, hopeful word, yes, yes. Great. Well, thanks for coming on. Down to business. Um, each month here on Circuit Cast, we invite guests to join us to consider an exhibition. And this month, it's a pretty sexy program, you might say, or might not, we'll see soon, at the Adam Art Gallery called Beautiful Creatures. Three artists, and um, for the listeners, let me introduce them. The first is uh, what has been called a benchmark in the history of American cinema. It's uh, Jack Smith's Flaming Creatures from 1962. Uh, Controversial, erotic, exotic, maybe a little bit ham, apparently intended originally as a comedy. And the second, uh, the large colour photographs of Bill Henson, featuring young men and women caught in the glare of headlights or murkily lit locations in the woods, all hints of mystery, consciously artful cinematography, supposedly reeking of contemporary discontent, teenage nighttime elopements as high art. Um, you can probably tell I'm not a fan of that one, so I'm looking for someone to defend it. Thirdly, a major new installation, The Making of the Chow Manhattan Tapes, an intensely busy 3D camp collage from um, Jacqueline Fraser, kind of a party of mixed media, images of models and hip-hop stars, copied and torn from magazines, embellished with fabric, projected images, designer furniture, lighting, an immersive, very busy environment. Wow, where should we start, guys? Anyone got any of those they'd like to launch into? <laughs> Take your pick. Why don't we start at the uh, beginning of the exhibition? As you walk in. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, my sense of this exhibition um, uh, really comes from a sense of walking around it, uh, which I guess for me means it was quite nicely curated. A sense, especially with the Henson of going in. Um, oh, it's dark, isn't it? It's dark. It's immediately it's dark. dark. City yeah, gallery's yeah, yeah. been dark this year too. It's suddenly every gallery's getting into being dark. Yeah, it's yeah, slightly yeah. sexy. Yeah. Which always already links it to cinema, right? You're Give going into the cinematic space, and the yeah, yeah, yeah. And the works seem to be lit as if they've got their own light. You know, each individual photograph is lit, and. Um, and that comes from within the works as well, you know, the, the bit Henson's chiaroscuro kind of mm. technique, where I mean, the I think figures of step out of the, you know, almost step out of the darkness towards Caravaggio. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Painterly, thank you, Mark. Um, <laughs> and I think part of that darkness, I mean, obviously that is a kind of a mood and atmospheric thing mm. that you want to walk into, but it's about giving that internal light in the work a chance to yeah, 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 yeah. do its thing, to prove that kind of statement, which I think we've heard a lot from, um, oft quoted from Bill Henson saying that the 
that, that beauty is the one thing that's both divine and visible, and it's kind of about that visibility or letting that do its very, very theatrical thing in the space. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a mistake with these works, though, to read them just... And actually, actually, for me, I mean, my style of reading is often formal and medial anyway, so I think it's a mistake to read these Can works. Can you just go into in, that one second? Formal and medium. Oh, just, sorry, in terms of the medium. Like, I, mm. you know, in terms of... I, I guess I read these as photographs, not as paintings, and I think it's... Because they're photographs. Um, but also because, you know, it's very... It's tempting to read them as paintings because they, they try and do that kind of Flemish thing or something. They try and do the chiaroscuro. They try and do all that stuff, but still they present... We are talking about this earlier, right? Still they present mm. a real person, a staged person, a directed person. Mm. And... Um, for me, that's a really important aspect of the works, especially given Henson's kind of slightly, you know, controversial history of employing prepubescent, pubescent kids in, in the images, you know. Mm. Um, so these kids are not only stepping out of the images in terms of being lit against a background, but they're stepping out of... You, you can't see them as anything but being a bit uncomfortable in front of a camera. Yeah, you know, I find actually... them. I find them very stagey. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, for me, it's like Bill Henson's time is over. I mean, I, I think if I compare it to Jane Campion's Top of the Lake, um, I kind of like kind of go well. They're, they're both kind of beautiful, but I, I, um, I, 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 there's no shock value in them, and, and and I find the whole thing about the divine and the art historical just kind of a bit trite, really. Um, yeah, to be yeah, honest, yeah. it's a little bit like Bill Viola for me. It's just all mm. it's all dressing for me and not. Sure, sure, sure. But he can be that can be something that he's interested in. So he's interested in interested in the production of those visual effects, as opposed to I mean, I think it's so easy mm. for us to break it down to this formal thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, versus content. And as soon as we start to talk about content, we talk about all the problems that comes with those, you know, yeah, the yeah, particular yeah, yeah. subjects that he's chosen. Um, but. Can, we need to recognise that those things are both kind of intertwined. That of course, of course. What he does and how he does it and who yeah. he does it to, if you'll if you'll allow that, yeah. um, is of a piece. Well, let's 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 move downstairs. We've got. Mm. I, I think there's some very interesting connections between these works, and, and and we're already talking, I guess, about cinema and some some respect to narrative. Mm. The the connection with Jack Quillen Fraser. That of course there is this kind of old man, young young boy, young girl. <laughs> Dodgy, slightly dodgy kind of thing of that that kind of outsider thing. Um, there may be a little bit of that perhaps with the Jacqueline Fraser, which kind mm. of interests me in terms of just a sense of the uh, the artist not being part of that world um, of the, the the model and the, the the icon and taking them out of the collaging. I was thinking of Henry Dargo we were talking about before of, of this of, sort of collaging and cutting out and, mm. and making this kind of world out of them. At the same time, of course, we are force fed almost these images. Of, of through popular culture and she's kind of referring to that I found the whole experience of the Jacqueline Fraser fascinating very very clever but ultimately really chilled me I felt very <laughs> disconnected just in the way that she's almost disconnected or that our culture becomes mm. almost anaesthetized by this kind of mm. deluge of imagery for me it was not a moving experience it was a very yeah. clever artful thing but at the same time all in the sense about ornamentation mm. Mm. I guess that's who um yeah, who is sampling, who are taking from this kind of plethora of images, you know, the kind of wash that she's experiencing, you know, sitting at home, watching cable TV, mm. kind of in the, doing that half-listening, half-looking thing that we do. Mm. And um, for me, that was really powerful. In the experience of the exhibition, I was totally aware of the, you know, the kind of way that we read things through peripheral vision so mm. so easily now. We're, all, we're constantly taking in... We're not looking at things. We're kind of... Um, 
I don't know, they're, they're always nibbling at the edge of our field of vision as well, and she was yeah, able and to... Yeah, 3D work forces you into that, doesn't certainly, it? Certainly, certainly. And yeah. also that oral kind of skate that she's got, you know, the yeah. ASAP Rocky and mm. um, Nicki Minaj are, are kind of pumping somewhere away yeah. in your... Um, yeah, in your kind of experience of it. Yeah, it's interesting you've got that slide projector just constantly bang, yeah. bang, bang, empty images. The, the film projection, the one moving image thing, is sort of projected away from you coming in and it's actually, it's quite clever, sort of, you know, projected on, as far away from actually being yeah, able yeah, to yeah. read it, but you're yeah. hearing Which the soundtrack. Which feels you know, it's excess, it's kind of surplus to, to the experience or to the, to the scope of the space. It's right up there on the wall as well, it's spilling out. It's yeah. like that disorientation of being at a party and you're completely out of it almost mm. and things yeah, are yeah. kind of happening and you're not really engaging with one Mm. key thing it's it's all environment all immersion no mm. well I don't know is it well I think there was something for me about the sense because you again there's a sense of the walkthrough of that piece going from the very dense presentation of framed objects um, into the 3D work I mean and really into it you get a real sense of going into the 3D work right um, but you're still looking at a collage so you you know even though the focus here is on bodies as constructed items in a way and represented items as you go into this work the bodies on view are still two-dimensional you know they're still there's no three-dimensional bodies in there even though it's a 3D well, there's work. yours I mean I guess there's that's yours. the kind of fracturing this is the thing. that's right so I think it's interesting to read this whole exhibition in terms of not the bodies on view, but the body of the spectator and the viewer, because, mm. I mean, you know, there are a lot of bodies on view there. But for me, I don't feel like there's a there's a sense of, you know, there's not a relational aesthetic sense of interaction with, you know, your your body being yes. part of the work. There's nothing, none of that, obviously. But And you go in there and you're kind of occupying this space. But all the people that she's presenting are still, they're still ripped out from magazines. Even though it's a 3D work, there's still all these flat things. And for me, that's mm. what you're comment about this, the distance or the chillness evoked is this kind of sense you still can't quite interact you can't interact with these people they're still no. just flat even though you're in an, in an environment she's creating an well, environment they're flat, where the people but they're are also, they're also chopped up I mean that's, they're chopped up that's they're torn more out. than chill yeah, yeah, I mean there's yeah. a kind of brutality and violence to that whole Th act. there is a whole yeah. violence to the whole thing really mm. in a way it's much more violent um, to yeah, me yeah. and a more abusive in a way than the, the Bill Henson yeah mm. can we move a little bit into the positive and talk introduce Jack Smith into this as well because <laughs> it seems in it. some ways in some ways a, quite a different role from these other two shows and that he's in this kind of act of reinvention you know taking his community he's not at a distance his, his mm. group of friends and they're, they're celebrating there's a carnivalesque thing of of being provocative and crossing the line and and this kind of risque behavior and capturing it on film and he's out outside the art world he's not really talking about high art and he's outside of the popular culture world he's not he's you know he's not really now he's been co-opted by mm. those worlds, but really he's often his own little independent world having mm. a party. Yeah, yeah. One assumes it's not his actual life, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been quite exhausting. Um, <laughs> I mean, putting it in the gallery, though, right, does something to it, and that most people's experience isn't going to be the experience of watching it through in the cinema, so you're already getting that sense. I get another tornness, you know, all these... All these things have a tearing about them, a tearing from context, a tearing from narrative, and that's happening with... I, and I, actually, I think it only accentuates what's already there, um, because, you know, it's famously non-narrative, or not easily narrative, you know, it's not a story, it's, yeah. it's these tableau, and as you watch it, the tableau fade into pure aesthetics. Mm. You can't work out what's going on, it's just, it's just light and dark after a while, you know, and then, then the, 
the breasts and the legs pop out again, you know, you realise what you're looking at. Mm. <laughs> um, but um, putting it in the gallery accentuates that because you're going to come in part of the way through. You know, you're going to come in in the middle of one of those images to a degree. But there's, um, a, the, uh, there's an issue with putting it in the gallery in that this isn't a film. It was made as a film. It's sort mm. of like a DVD that's being screened. You're not asked to come in and sit down, yeah. you know, on the hour and watch the whole thing. I, no. I found that that was a little bit of a... A, a deficiency with this again I was disconnected when I didn't need to be the whole social nature of film mm. isn't played to here if it had been on a you know on a on a um, 16 mil projector and mm. you know there was a mm. bit of that materiality more to it um, I, I would have been a better experience I kind of asked myself why in the gallery when I can watch it on YouTube or mm. the other works it's it's I, I guess I, I wondered about the presentation. It's still a very cinematic experience. I mean, you go there, you're completely surrounded. The image is of a particular scale that you're not going to experience on YouTube. Mm. Um, and it is the fi- it is a film that's perfectly suited to that kind of This is almost like what I was trying to say. Dipping exactly. in and out. You yeah. sample it in the way that, you know, arguably Jacqueline Fraser's sampling elsewhere. Mm. You know, it's a... it's. You know, this could be the very best context for it, I'd argue. Oh, okay. It becomes mm-hmm. a form of wall image, doesn't it? You come and look at an image on the wall, even if it's it's a kind of... And you stick with it for a while. Possibly not the whole Yeah, you look at a series but... of kind of a hyper-tableau, you know, mm. you right. you dip in and out at will. So it's a film you think suits that rather than an engagement from start to finish? That's been my own experience of it, has been going in and out of it. But yeah. um, I haven't felt like that I was, um, you know, missing out on the narrative arc for that. <laughs> I'm just aware that, you know, for example, that The Adam have had a, you know, parallel screening program and it's kind of interesting as to mm. what you what you show in the gallery and what you don't, what yeah, you yeah. put in as a, an event that mm. people turn up and they sit and they, they, they watch the whole thing and what they, you know, they dip in and out of. Mm, certainly, yeah. yeah. I mean, it brings it almost back to the original condition of cinema, which would have been very... You know, when, I, I believe when cinema was first being shown publicly, it was run in a continuous loop, right? So okay. people would go in, start to watch, and leave at the point where they came in. This is this is where I came in, you know, that's where the phrase comes from, and, and walk up and leave again. So, you know, if, right. if people actually yeah. stay for the full 45 minutes, it is actually quite... It's got its cinematic history built into it, in a sense, mm-hmm. that you can watch a film that way. Yeah. Um, but it's... Uh, it's a good film to do it with. I so, think. what was the highlight of the show for you guys? I mean, if you were to pick out the work that you think's, I think it's uh, it's probably the you. knit, which is which is a um, you know the, the combination of the three. It was it, so the experience kind of mm. um, you know was greater than the sum of its parts in some ways. Absolutely. But I was totally, I was really blown away by the by the Henson photographs. Right, I found them very um, extraordinary and kind of moving, and it's not a word I use very often. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have I'd have difficulty choosing. I I think it was a very well selected program, and I think they worked so well together and informed each other so well that I almost have difficulty thinking of them apart from each other. You know, and I think for me that makes it very hard to mm. to just because they had such. I mean, the Jacqueline Fraser actually slightly less. It stood off to one side a little bit just because it didn't have a camera. You know, it was taking appropriated images. I feel like the use of a camera already means that the artist is directing in a way that Jacqueline Fraser's not. So there's a slight difference there, but, you know, for me, it was just such a a very whole experience. So. Mm. Great. Well, there we go. And the last bit, uh, a, a unanimous uh, vote, I guess, for the sort of knit of the exhibition and the curation, <laughs> and, and even a defence of the Bill Henson, which, as I forewarned, I was not so taken with. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Tim. That Pleasure. concludes our panel. Thank you for coming in. Uh, Beautiful Creatures is on at Wellington's Adam Art Gallery until the 7th of July.
Well, you're listening to Circuit Cast, and now we move right on into part two of this podcast. Suitably, I guess, following up from Jacqueline Fraser's college cut-ups of uh, reproductions from popular culture, we can move on to those of artist and lecturer at Massey University, Dick White. Um, hi, Dick. Hi, Mark. Hi. Um, you've got a screening of your film Pulp Fan Fiction coming up. It seems in a way that with this Adam Art Gallery show, uh, also on there's a bit of nice synchronicity with the Warhol show on it to Papa. Right. I know you've already done remakes of 20th century art sourced from the internet, including one of um, people uh, imitating Andy Warhol eating a hamburger. Yes. Yep. Well, what did you make of the Warhol show then? Um, I, I thought the Warhol show was a complete piece of trash, actually. It was a waste of my time. Trashy in terms of the work, the design, or I mean, maybe, maybe trash is a bad word. I don't know. I, it was a waste of my time. Um, it's eighteen dollars fifty of your time. Too. Yeah, yeah. Well, which you know, which um, circuit paid for, so that's nice. Oh, that's nice. Um, that's Thank you, circuit. Very nice of them. Um, I don't know. I didn't. Th- the selection of works wasn't very good. It was largely um, a lot of eighties portraits. Yep. That don't really excite me much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm going to see Warhol. I want to see the electric chair. I want to see the car crashes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there are a few nice Marilyns. There was a nice Mao. What about what about what about the moving image work? Moving image work was shown off DVD, so that was really disappointing as well. All right. Um, particularly, you know, his pain. What, what did you think of that screen test kind of carry on where you could pretend to do? Oh, do you a could pretend to do. Test. Oh, I don't know. It was kind of embarrassing, eh? They'd like set up these fake bricks, and they had, you know. Uh, what do you call it, tinfoil over it to try and recreate some factory kind of feel thing uh, and a weird little booth thing that didn't really make any sense. You couldn't control the camera. Right, right. Um, it just, I don't know, the whole thing was just odd. It was odd. It was like Ico, Ico does Warhol. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Well, let's talk about your own work now. Um, your current work has involved over the last three years lovingly stitching together over 400 fan videos, remakes of scenes from Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. to recreate it as a two and a half hour film that's about to screen. Why, why Pulp Fiction? Um, well, it seemed, I don't know, like I, I remember having the idea, like the, I remade the, the shower scene from Psycho. Yes, using, I've seen that on the circuit website. Yep, yeah. using, the, using fan, again, using fan recreations. And that seemed like the logical choice if I was going to do a scene from a movie because it's, A, one of the most well-known scenes of all time. It sits neatly in that position between modernism and postmodernism, things like that. Like, it sits in that nice little sort of buffer zone in the middle there, which, I, which yeah. I'm fond of. Um, and it's also, I mean, I don't know if it really is, you know, the scene with the most amount of cuts in it in film history or whatever. I'm sure there's someone who beats it or whatever. But in terms of popular cinema, there's certainly not a scene, I don't think, with so many cuts. Mm. Um, and such a lot of quick paced cutting. So it seemed like a logical choice because it would be a good way to explore, you know, fitting in as many fan videos into one short space. Of time well, that's Psycho. What about the two and a half hour Pulp Fiction then? Well, that was the thing. So, I mean, the next logical step was to remake a movie. Um, and I sort of feel like the Psycho one now is sort of like, I mean, you know, it feels like a school project. You know what I mean? It was just a right. short little thing. Uh, and I was like, okay, I want to make like a proper work here. What am I going to do? Um, and I don't really remember thinking, I think I tried to think of other films, but then the second I thought of Pulp Fiction, I was like, well, that's it, obviously. Like, there's no other choice, really, um, of film to remake in this sense. Well, the title itself, Pulp Fiction, exactly. the pulping of fiction. The you title, know. the remaking of stuff already, Quentin Tarantino's constant recycling and remaking of scenes in the first place. Um, but also, like, it's, state, or like it's, it's sort of iconic value, like, at least to, to my generation. Um, you know, people still quote it. Uh, it's still circulating culturally. Um, and so that was the other interesting thing for me, is that it's become a part of 
with language, I think. But why do it other than people kind of like obsessed with it? You know, it's like remaking Jay Z, remaking the White Album or something, or whatever, and it's kind of funny. What 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 is the what is the the bigger purpose for you? I mean, what is what why why spend all that time on it? Is well, it just a the, kind of a yourself being a sort of a geeky poppy fan of of the whole thing? What, you know, what's the I mean, I don't even like Pulp Fiction that much anymore in some ways. Don't get me wrong, I still enjoy watching it. I don't know, it's, I have a very unusual relationship with it. I much prefer Jackie Brown as a film. I think Jackie Brown's a really politically sensitive and interesting film mm. about race politics in America at that time. Um, and nothing, I don't think Tarantino's managed to return to that in quite the same subtlety and, and sensitivity that he did in that film. And that's well, his well, least yeah, favourite well, film. Aren't we just avoiding you know. politics by just constantly remaking you know, these things? Right. Um, okay, so why yeah why remake it? Um, okay, so the first reason is that I want to see it, um, and that's the reason I always make something in the first place is that I just literally want to see it. I don't know why, but I really want to see it. Um, <laughs> I have no answer for that. It's a feeling. Do you know what I mean? It's a thing. Yeah. I want I want to see it. But there's also I think a certain politics in the act of remaking, uh, a taking back of culture to some degree, and then then. Uh, um, inserting yourself into these cultural moments, like taking some ownership over them. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, it's possibly not as profound as other political, you know, activities. Well, it's kind of collective, but in a sense it's a disembodied collectivism because you're not getting all those people together, are you? They're not no. talking to one another really. No, and I didn't want right. to do that. Okay. Because, I mean, so there's one other film that's been remade, um, as far as I know, from beginning to end. I mean, in a fan sense, do you know what I mean? Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah, the yeah. Star Wars one. And that was where they actually organised the fans to get together. You're allotted your 15 seconds oh, or whatever I didn't it realize was. Yep. That. Oh, It's okay. all done through a website, da, da 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 and so they remade the film. And then they sort of stitched it together. It's really easy to watch. It's kind of like, it's, it's you know, it, it's a lot smoother than my one, for instance. Like, yeah. Um, but I didn't want to do that. What I'm interested in is that it already existed remade. That's what interests me. Not that we would on purpose remake it, oh, wow, okay. but that the entire film already existed, um, and I wasn't. Well, there, were no, there were no gaps. Well, um, <laughs> so first of all, I mean, what was interesting about it because I had the idea of Pulp Fiction. I've since looked for a lot of other films in terms of just wanting to check what's out there, and I think now, I think I can say that Pulp Fiction is the most remade film on YouTube um, in its entirety. I mean. Um, I'm sure there are certain scenes that are more remade, and, you know, so on and so forth. But in terms of there being such a broad range of it, um, I think it's the most. Yeah. Um, which means I made the right choice. It was intuitive because obviously, if I had chosen a film where everything didn't exist, then I'm screwed because yeah. there's, there's not going to be a finished product at the end of this. I'm going to spend all this time doing it, and you know, I'm not going to actually end up with the finished film. Um, but I did. I wasn't sure I was going to get the whole thing until two weeks ago, about a month ago. Some students. I think American students uploaded a version where they had dubbed themselves underneath it, just saying the lines, nothing more. Okay. Um, had dubbed themselves underneath it, and I was able to get that those last oh, little gaps. How convenient! Little get, I know, and yeah. only, you know, and I'd already organised the screening as well, so I was really like going, "Shit, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, am I going to like start getting friends to remake them? Uh, it kind of goes against the project a little bit." Well, let, let's just talk a little bit more about the general idea. You draw your practice draws a lot from the internet as its source material, and uh, there's a there's a there's a process or the word you use, uh, detournement. Is mm -hmm. that the right way mm -hmm. to call it? I'm just going to read out the definition for it because I think it kind of neatly encapsulates something of our time. Uh, detournement means the integration of past and present artistic productions into a superior construction, a method which reveals the wearing out and loss of importance of those spheres turning expressions of the capitalist system and its media culture against itself. Yeah, right. So yeah, Dick yeah. White storming the barricades. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, it's a political act. Is that 
you know, is that in a sense, is this what it's about? Is it an anti anti capitalist kind of work gesture? Democratization of the medium? I feel like there's a certain idealism in that, you know, to claim those things. Um, democratization. Everyone is an artist. Yeah, yeah. Democratization. I'm not, I don't think so. Um, people often talk about the internet as a democratization, but it's not. Yeah. It's still largely white. It's still largely, you know, uh, of certain class as well, you know, and of gender as well, to be honest. You know, if you look at the spread, now don't get me wrong, I've managed to get a spread of many people from different cultures, many different genders. Have you worked so quite so hard on that? I mean, you know, it'd be easy to get lots of America, obviously. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, if you want white men, yes, you know, you, right. it's all there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would be looking and looking and looking for those ones that weren't going to conform to that so that I could put them in as well, mm. you know, to have that, that, that broader scale. So, I mean, this idea of democratization of art through the internet, I think, is a bit of a, a, bit of a have. Um, but I do think that it has increased the ability for a broader spectrum of society to engage with popular culture and to speak back to it, mm. which I don't think has been possible before this in, in quite the same way. Um, so that interests me. Um, and that's maybe the most interesting aspect of it for me, is this idea of speaking back to popular culture. Hey Dick, thanks for joining us. Dick White's Pulp Fan Fiction plays Friday the 28th of June at 8pm at the People's Cinema, which is at 57 Manor Street, Wellington. Also soon to be uh, played in Dunedin, hopefully. Excellent. We'll see you then. You're listening to Circuit Cast, views, voices and debate on artists' moving image. And in part three of our show, we phone a friend somewhere else on the planet. Where will it be today? Well, I'll give you a clue. It pulls at the bottom of a grand river. It has a rich history and a lively artistic community. It's in the lower North Island of New Zealand. Locals may have guessed I'm talking about Whanganui. And on the blower this month is moving image artist, sculptor and lecturer at the School of Fine Arts, Ucol, Britt Bunkley. Is the snow on the hills there yet, Britt? No, it's beautiful weather. Lovely. Very warm. Oh, oh very good to hear. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in your location there in a sense, Britt, in terms of your relation to your work's production and its distribution. Because I think, ironically for us, it's your video work is in more film and video festivals around the world, be it Moscow or Oslo, than any other New Zealand artist um, circuit can think of. Uh, I mean, does that relate in some way to you getting your work out because of your location? Not necessarily. I just um, basically just get online, look up places to send it to, and am fairly disciplined in sending them out about every oh, three weeks or so. I mean, your work, more than most artists I know, focuses on the digital as a kind of a sculptural material. It's really playing with that, that medium. I mean, do you think you, that's kind of been a response in some ways to being in Whanganui? Or do you think you would have gone that way if you'd stayed in the States, say? Well, I think it is a response to being in Whanganui because I came here and was doing a lot of uh, public art in the States when I came here that pretty much dried up. So I uh, began using digital, 3D digital in the early 90s to um, basically try and design public art projects. Right. And when I came here, I kept using the software and decided to try and do virtual public art projects and just for basically as an investigation into kind of objects that could be made. And it evolved. It evolved into video 
because the software was also an animation software and it evolved into 3D printing um, because I somehow became connected with a group of people called um, um, Intersculpt. It was a, um, led by a person in France named Christian Levine and uh, started printing up things online, uh, 3D sculptures virtually simultaneously around the world during these Intersculpt um, festivals or, or um, different little events they happened. They weren't really festivals, events, I guess. Well, in, in terms of your video work, I mean, again, working at a physical distance from the New Zealand sort of dealer galleries, um, I guess you're plugging into different things, and something I see you've been recently using is this thing called Sedition or S Edition. It's kind of hard to know how to say it, isn't it? It's sort of S in brackets and then Edition, um, which is a new online service that sells video works, I guess for a fraction of the big money you'd see in galleries. I think they're... Um, their line is turning screens into art, and your work's featured there. I mean, it's got a bit of a gift shop feeling to it, perhaps, but it's alongside video versions of 3D works like Tr Tracy Eamon, Neon, a floating baby skull covered in diamonds by Damien Hurst, all this kind of stuff. How's that gone for you? You've got a work Blood Angels up there for sale. Well, I put it up about three weeks ago, and I sold four so far, and it's okay. Yeah. To make the same price that it would be to... Um, equals a hard copy edition would take about 80 copies sold. So, okay. You know, because they did take a 50% of it. Um, I did buy one myself by Akita, which uh, is interesting, but unfortunately the bandwidth is not strong enough here to play it very well. Oh, how, who, I mean, how much do these sort of things cost on there? Well, they cost between, Akita was only $8. I mean, you right. know, two cups of coffee, basically. Yeah. Own, a, own your own Ikea. I mean, you know, it is kind of mm. gift shoppy. It is a little bit uh, like buying online music in a way. Um, some go, and there was one that I wanted to get to the AES uh, that was $84 right now. But yeah. you know, that's a little hefty for uh, and online because they're only available online. That you can only stream them. Right. I mean, are, are the images, in terms of image quality, are the images heavily compressed, a bit like the price? Um, no, they're not that compressed. No, um, they probably should be more compressed because I think it would play a little easier, actually. Right. So you've you bought a work there. I mean, I'm interested in what it's like to be a punter. I see you have to kind of register on the site. Um, I mean, how does it work? And you're bidding for a work. You've oh, you just uh, no. It's not bidding. You just get on and buy a work. It's um, no different than downloading a CD or you know. Music oh, okay. From, yeah, and you download it, but you can only stream it. It's almost like having an Apple iPod where you can only play it on the iPod in the old days. Right. Um, so you can only stream it. You could, you, in theory, you could stream it through your computer onto a projector and project it anywhere as well. Um, but it has to be through the vault. You own um, a copy, and in theory, once the series is sold, you can resell it. You know, it um, has a digital signature on it. Oh, wow. And it's like any other digital, um, or not even digital, like any kind of printmaking, for instance. There's an, there are in additions. The price goes up. The more people buy it, and then it reaches an end. Uh, it's really no different than uh, photography, buying a photograph um, in which you can, in theory, make almost unlimited copies of photographs, but you, you know, photographers have editions established. Right. Um, I don't know if there's any legal law allowing you to go over it, but you know, it's, it's not in good form to do so, so people don't. Is, 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 this, is this the future, Britt? I mean, or is this just a kind of more commercial offshoot? I mean, you know, is, it, is, it, is this good, do you think, generally? Or, or, or I guess with this, is it good or is it bad or is it just a little ugly or is it uh, going to be something you see a lot more of, do you think? Well, I don't, 
I don't think it's any uglier than downloading music, really. So, uh, do you show your work elsewhere on, on online? Well, I do have work on Vimeo, which in theory can't be downloaded, um, and I have a website. But uh, you know, I'm not really interested in, in internet art per se. So that's an interesting uh, dilemma, isn't it? That thing of putting your work up on Vimeo and versus people sort of watching it for free or having to, like you know, through sedition, actually pay for the stuff to be streamed. Yeah. Well, anything that's through sedition, I take off Vimeo. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Brett. You're welcome. Really good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Thank you. And that completes Circuit Cast for the month. We'll be back next month. Uh, Circuit Cast has been produced by circuit.org.nz with the assistance of Creative New Zealand and the School of Fine Arts, Massey University of Wellington with music by Orchestra of Spheres. Ciao.